Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. So, um, unless you've taken my advice and gotten completely off social media and don't turn on the TV or the radio or have conversations with anybody, ever, um, you're probably pretty aware of how evil things are in our country right now. Um, Period. To be completely honest, I don't even know what to think. I'm angry. I'm fearful. If you've got kids that you drop off at school in the morning, it's hard not to think about one more crazy person walking in with a gun. I'm confused. And as a pastor, I'm confronted by how much our world is in need. I'm overwhelmed where we even start. What do we do with this? And uh, if you think during this, I'm going to give you the answers. It's going to fix everything. Well, I am, but it's a, it's a slow road. Um, we're overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. And I, I'm just going to tell you, and, and this is not a political statement, okay? Hear me what I'm getting ready to say. There isn't a law that can be set in the books that's going to fix our issue. There isn't. Do I think they could have just some laws? Probably. But I'm just going to leave that there. Um, Because I don't really think politics is going to change anyone. I don't think it's going to fix you. I don't think it's going to fix our country. There's only one person that's going to fix us, which is what we're talking about today, is Jesus. The truth is, we're powerless to change our hearts. You know, uh, we see this wrestle in the Old Testament. Like, if we get a law and we get a rule, and I'm not saying there are bad rules or there are bad laws. I'm just saying they don't fix the heart of people, which we'll see through what we're going to read today. None of us are exempt from the plague that is affecting every single one of us. Do you know what that plague is? Sin. I I think it's kind of sad that um, we can spend a lot of time in church and we don't talk about sin. Talk about the goodness of God and his rescuing, but we don't talk about why he's so good. Because of sin. Sin is destroying our world. Plain and simple. And to be completely honest, sin is most likely destroying your world. Maybe in little ways. Maybe in big ways. Sin is ruining our lives. And no one is exempt from it. No one. No one in this room, let's just throw this out, including the joker with a microphone, um, is sin free. No one in the last 24 hours has perfectly maintained their life sinless. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Probably in disagreeing with me, you just became prideful and you just failed. (laughs) I haven't. I did it perfect. I slept all day yesterday. I didn't do anything wrong. Today, today we're going to look at one of the most well-known failures. And if you've not read it, no judgment. But um, if you've been around the Bible, it is a well-known failure by one of the most famous Old Testament characters. 
Today, we're going to see how to deal with the issue of sin, and it's in here. It's not out here. To be completely honest, we, me, you, most of us spend our lives trying to fix the sin in our world, in our lives out here. Going, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do this. And trying to fix all these things externally without letting Jesus fix What's going on inside of us? And my one thing that I want you to hear today is we cannot change our outside without allowing God to change our inside. Let's pray. Jesus, um, just by the mention of sin, um, there's fear, there's shame, there's guilt wrapped up in this room. Lord, we're afraid of your judgment. We're afraid of possibly afraid of people finding out what's going on in our life. But, Lord, we, we sang very well, by the way, um, how you break every chain. And we acknowledge that today, that you can break every chain. That the sin that has entangled us, the sin has, that has been controlling us, Lord, you can give us freedom from and power over. So help us, Jesus. Look at an Old Testament character who messed up really bad. And let us see him lament over his sin. And let it change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna I'm gonna cover all of Psalms fifty one. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can get there. It's 19 verses, um, and I'm going to do my best to do them justice. But to get into Psalm 51, I have to give you some backstory. So for those that have been reading the one-year Bible, you're, this is fresh off the presses. I mean, you have been reading in Second Samuel, and you've seen this story unfold. It has three characters, uh, David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. And so just to, before we get into 51, I have to kind of tell you what happens uh, or happened um, so you can kind of get a, a background. So David was the king, anointed, chosen by God. A king that we've seen referred to, in, in spite of this, after a man after God's own heart. A king that... God picked out, hand-chosen, had lots of aspirations for. And a king that, um, in the time of war, was at home. Not where he was supposed to be. And I, I, I don't really, I mean, we could probably, I am mean, really, I could spend probably a few weeks talking about why this happened or how it happened. But I want you to, to, to understand this. This was a chosen Proven a man of character from what we see. And he still failed. Corinthians says, be, be, be wary when you think you're standing on solid ground that you don't fall. And, and David probably, I don't know what was going on in his brain, but he was where he shouldn't have been. And he was out on his roof, probably not planning to get in what he got into. Most sin is like that. It's 
Some of us head for it and are planning for it, but most of us, it just happens. An anger or, you know, a little bit of greed, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It just, it, it, we get confronted by a situation and the situation takes us a direction that we don't intend to go. And so he's up on his roof and he is looking out at his beautiful kingdom and he sees a lady taking a bath, cleaning off, bathing. And he gets his um, people to go over to her and bring her to him. And he has an affair, not even an affair, he, he takes advantage of his authority. Because when, when God, through Nathan in a little bit, confronts the perpetrator in this, it's one person, David. So, but she becomes over to his room. Um, they do things that they shouldn't have done because she was married and he was married to, anyway, lots of women. Whole other story. And he um, sends her away. And a few days later, uh, a few weeks later, a month later, uh, find out that she's pregnant. And David, trying to fix his dilemma, he calls back her husband, which is where he should have been, on the front lines. And he, come, he calls him back for his own reason, to check on things, and has a conversation with him, and does everything in his power trying to cover up his tracks, cover up his sin, and get this man to... Go stay at his house and potentially, um, you know, do something with his wife so then no one would know. But he's so honorable that he slept at the gate of the king. He was like, how can I, how can I go home and, 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 and be with my wife and be in my house and sleep in my bed when my men are on the front line? And he wouldn't. And, and David keeps him there another night, tries to get some intoxicated, but he still wouldn't do the thing that he needed him to do to cover up his sin. And so what does David do? He sends him to the front lines. He sends a message. Could you imagine? Can you imagine this? He sends a note with him. Sealed to take to his commander that says, hey, kill me. Take me to the front line. Press into it and then pull back so that he's dead. And David, um, of course, is the king. And they all listen to him and do exactly what he says. And Uriah dies. And he marries Bathsheba, trying to hide, still cover his tracks. And sometime in this, we don't know how much time's passed, but he, he's not confronted. He's not, you know, he's not repentant of his sin. He keeps adding, and this is what sin does to us, okay? If you haven't figured this out, is it wants more and more. He could, he could have fixed one with the other, but he kept adding one thing to another, trying to cover up this thing that's happened to him. So he marries him and marries Bathsheba, covers the tracks, and she gives birth to a son um, who dies. And I don't really have time to get into all of that either. But Nathan comes to David. Nathan's a prophet comes to David, speaks to David, and he, he didn't just get in his face and be like, you dirty sinner, I know exactly what you did. God told me. He didn't lay out the details. He goes, let me tell you a story. And he tells him a story about this wealthy landowner that has all of these sheep. I mean, tons of sheep. And there's this one man who is, 
He has one sheep, very poor, one sheep that he has loved, that he has cherished, that he, he slept in the bed with them. He took care of the sheep. And David has somebody come into town, or not David, the, the landowner has someone to come into town, and he goes and takes the sheep from this person, slaughters it, prepares it for a meal, and serves it to this person coming. And David gets righteously angered and says, he will be punished. And Nathan says this statement, you are that man. And Psalms 51 is David's response. And my intent today is to look at David's response and understand that The way we lament, the way we confess, the way we deal with our sin determines how our life goes. David got caught. And I don't know if you watch the news or anything else with, I won't even say the denomination, but one denomination after another, there's pastors that are hiding stuff, concealing things, and confessing things when they've been caught. And there's a big difference of going, hey, I'm really sorry that this happened and oh, I'm whatever. When you get caught, it's another thing to lament like we're going to see. Because if you ever figure this out, um, whatever that is in you, it's ruining you. Whatever that is. And I don't even want to necessarily, I mean, I could just sit here and name things. But there's issues going on in our lives that if, if we don't get to a place of not just going, man, I'm, I wish I don't get caught. And if I do get caught, I'm going to be real heartbroken about it, mostly because of what it means to me, not what it means to my relationship with God. So Psalm 51 is that. And we're going to go through the 19 verses. And I'm going to talk through it. And then I've got some questions at the end for you. So he starts off verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He turns to the right place. David went straight to the source. It's God's mercies that starts the transformational work in our hearts. Verse 2, it says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me he's aware of them i I don't know about you but um if you've been caught in a sin pattern and no one knows about it it has this way of just being there no one knows that it's there but it's there it's everywhere you go you're aware of these things that are going on in your life that no one knows about And David's like, it's ever before me. Then he says something very profound. He says, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you will be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He didn't blame anybody else. He didn't go, well, that woman was out there bathing outside. She knew other people were going to be there. He doesn't blame anyone. And he didn't even talk about the sin that was committed against Bathsheba and her husband. He goes straight to who he has sinned against. Verse 
Verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Okay. We can argue about original sin or whether we were born into sin or not, and I... That's not my sermon today, but we are. I mean, Dave is right. Uh, If you've had children, like, we don't have to teach or train them to be (laughs) sinful. They just are. And, you know, the problem is, is we look for things to fix them. And I'm, I'm the same. Like, I, I don't want my kids to misbehave. And, you know, sometimes we'll train behavior modification. We'll train them not to do certain things, especially in front of other people, instead of working on their heart. Let me tell you a brief little add-on. If you're confronted or annoyed or dealing with a troubled child in your house... And you're not praying that God would change their heart. You're heading in the wrong direction. Now you can still do all the work external. Like hey we're going we're gonna to work on behavior and all these other things. But if you aren't praying that God change them internally. That you may fix them in, externally for a season until they leave. <laughs> out of the power of you. But if you pray that God would change their heart. That's where they're changed. See, this was a raw confession. This wasn't like, oh man, I've been caught. This was this went down and dirty. He's literally saying, cleanse me. He didn't excuse it. He didn't play it down. He didn't blame others. Look at this in 1 John 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this issue didn't start with this incident. There was things going on in David's life that he wasn't dealing with that were leading him to this place. Verse 7. It says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Okay, I had to look this up, and you're like, how many of you have got hyssop plants at your house? And you're like, yeah, ready for this. So a hyssop plant... They used for lots of different things. One of the things that they used it for is they dipped the blood in it um, during Passover. They put the blood on the lentils. I'll explain in a second, or I'll talk more about that in a second. Another thing that it was used for is they would sprinkle the blood and water on the lepers to declare them cleansed. Which is what he's asking for. He's asking for God to do the thing that he cannot do to cleanse him. It was declaring the purification. And he's not saying, hey, God, I'm going to do all the right things from this moment on, and that's what's going to purify me. He's saying, God, I need you to purify me. I need you to fix what I cannot fix. Verse 8, it says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. He prays that his sin, being pardoned, might have comfort 
in that pardon. Because sometimes in our confession, we're like, hey, God, forgive me. He's saying, I, I, I want that forgiveness, of course. But he was like, I want the joy that comes with understanding the pardon and the forgiveness. And he said something really cool and intense. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here. Like if you're fighting something that you just cannot overcome, and if you're not asking God to work on the inside of you, it will be an outward battle that you will lose over and over and over again. Verse 11, it says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. He personally saw what it meant for the Spirit of God to leave in Saul. If you've been reading, Saul had the blessing and anointing of God until he tried to do it himself. Have a sacrifice for himself because the prophet hasn't showed up yet. And he took things into his own hand and the spirit of the Lord left Saul. It's a little different than, uh, you know, our New Testament, you know, the release of the Holy Spirit. But same image, but he was tormented. So David came in there and played the instruments to try to release and ease the torment that was going on because the Holy Spirit left. David knew, and he's like, please don't let the Holy Spirit depart from me. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Let me just tell you, I say this all the time. What Jesus wants to do in you and deal with you in you is never just for you. Let's be real honest. If today, through the Holy Spirit, you take hold of a sin that's so easily entangling you, and, and you follow David's lead, and you cry out for help, and you cry out for the Lord to cleanse you, and God does a work in you, and you start living differently because you're living differently. Imagine how much that speaks to others. Because he's saying, hey, do this in me, not just for me. So then I will teach others just like me your ways. And they'll return to you. 14, it says, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Let me tell you something else that's going to change. And we're going to talk about worship, uh, I think, next week, maybe the week after. Probably next week. But you don't know what will change in here? If we get this? If, we, if we're just confronted every day by our need and desire for Jesus and our need and desire to be cleansed, and we understand what he's doing for us all the time, we will be singing aloud of your righteousness. We'll be in here. You know, hear me. We have a great band. I don't know if you know this or not. Um, like, this is, this is awesome. And this isn't time filler. This isn't even preparation for the Word. This is part of our worship. This is part of what God's trying to do in us. 
What will maintain you through all of these things is realizing where worship belongs and worshiping through all the things. We will praise and sing aloud and we will declare. Declare who he is. When when our worships where it shouldn't be, the only thing that means is we have a wrong perspective of who's doing the work. We have a wrong perspective of who's doing the work. Because if, if we're over here like, oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Some of us are thinking, man, I've done a great job and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm doing all these things. I'm serving kids ministry and I'm giving money in that little great box that they got back there. Instead of the reality of knowing up here that in, in spite of myself, Jesus loves me. The work that's happening in me, he's doing. The work that he's doing around us. Verse 16. It says, for will not, for you will not delight in sacrifice. Listen to this. Or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you do not despise. Look, and I think this was the issue with the system that Jesus was coming in contact with. They were just going through the motions of like, hey, as long as I do the sacrifices, as long as I do this thing, I'm all good. And he's like, no, those things will do you no good if your heart isn't fixed, if your, your spirit's not broken, if your heart is not laid open saying, God, I need you. That's what God's looking for. And that's not just what God is looking for at the moment of salvation. I think sometimes we come into the kingdom praising his glory and his mercy and his grace and his goodness. And then we forget it once we're in the club. Like he just did it that one moment and now we're great. And we forget how much he's doing for us over and over and over again. Our awareness of our own personal sin will drive you into worship, will drive you into dependence on Jesus. Our ignoring our own sin, downplaying it, going, and I'm just telling you, if you watch TV, you're on social media, uh, morality <laughs> uh, is very fluid based on what you think or feel, and um, it's not. And the problem isn't necessarily that we don't think that way. The problem is, is that we begin to think like the world does. Well, it's, it's not that bad. Sin is destroying relationships. It's destroying families. And it's all because we aren't allowing God to confront us with the little. Let me just tell you, our strongest way to win with sin is dealing with it when it's little. Because we we get hardened and calloused going through the world and we just start ignoring things. Verse 18. 
It says, do good in Zion, in your good pleasure, build up walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And he's like, hey, if you get it right, if the people get it right, I will build walls around you. And then the sacrifice will be right because the people will understand what is actually going on. If we want to change our homes and our cities, we have to change our heart. Like, I think sometimes we, 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 we're just so dependent on somebody else fixing our problem or the problem of the world that we ignore our part to it. We cannot ignore the sin that's going on in our life. Because let me just tell you, all this stuff that we've seen, the root of it is sin. The root of it is a separation from a good and glorious Father. And if we want to fix something, we're going to start fixing us. Because there will be death and loss that will come out of this room if we don't. It may not be on the scope that we see on the news right now, but it will come. And it will be littered in families... It'll be littered in uh, broken relationships. It'll be littered with things that some people will never know, but your next generation will feel the pain of it. And so if you, you want to do something beneficial for your kids, let God transform your heart, because if he transforms you, he can have access to them. Got a few questions for you. It's my first one is what would Nathan confront you over? Because David probably thought, hey, I got away from it. I am the king. No one's going to confront me. Notice that none of his guards saying, hey, David, this is a bad idea. Hey, David, you know, God probably wouldn't like this. No one stood up to David. No one's like, hey, no, no, this is a bad idea. No one. And so he probably thinks, you know, no one knows. Like, I've gotten away. I've fixed everything until Nathan walked in and tells him a little story. And so my first question for you, if Nathan found you alone, what would he point out to you? See, right now, everybody's very aware of what I think you're thinking, um, what Nathan would come and say. I, just by the very mention of it, there's already things that are popping in your head. You're like, yeah, yeah, I probably should deal with that. And you have one of two things that you can do. You can be like David who became broken over it. And let me just tell you, and if you keep reading, there was consequences to this that kept going. Kept going. So sometimes our resolve and our fix doesn't necessarily fix everything. But if Nathan came to you today and was like, hey, this, this, this is the issue, and however he told it to you, however, whatever, there's two responses. You can either go, oh, yeah, 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 oh, I know. I've been working on that one. Or you can be broken like David and go, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you to fix what's going on inside of me. This is tied to that question, is what do you think that you've gotten away with? Because here, here's a shocker that you may not know. 
at some point in your life, living or dead, you will pay the consequences of your sin. And you may think, well, as long as it's later, no. What, what is hidden will be exposed. And to be completely honest, my prayer is that God would expose things now before there's more destruction. So what do you think you've gotten away with? Tied to that is what's eating you up inside. What, what is something unknown that you just cannot overcome that is just, it is the weight that keeps you up at night? It's that thing that you cannot get over. And I encourage you to go to the right source. To be honest. My, another one is, uh, where would you like the hyssop to purge? Where would you love to hear God declaring your cleanliness again? Now that's at the end of the repentance. But where, where would you love to experience that. I'm going to invite our worship team up. And we're going to worship. And, and, and my, my hope. Is that. You won't just go. Yep. I'm aware. And I'm going to do my best to fix it. My hope is that. You would be. You would, you would acknowledge it today. And invite Jesus into it. And if you'd be so bold, invite somebody else into it. David, before that, would have ignored it until Nathan showed up. And maybe today, you just need to be like, here's what's going on. Be raw. I mean, could you imagine catching something before it really ruined your life? And if that meant a little pain on your end, a little pressure on your end to like expose something that is eating you up on the inside what if you could fix that today the world's issues are the same as ours our heart must be dealt with let us surrender and lament over our sin confess it to the father and allow him to restore the joy of our salvation if that's not you and it's 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 in and you're not enjoying the joy of your salvation because there's something that you just cannot get over, you cannot get through. Today's the day. Today's the day that you could change your life just like David. David would have lost in, in the suffered what he suffered after this would have been so much greater if it wasn't for this moment let's pray father this is the moment that we get to appreciate how gracious you are this is the moment that we get to see how good you are this is the moment that we don't stay in that same place Lord I pray that you would that you would break our hearts not to break them to leave them in pieces but break them to make them whole again 
Lord, as I ask the question about what would Nathan say, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have his work in us today, Lord, that that we would know. Here's the thing right now that I need you. This is the place. This is the, the sin that so easily entangles. And I pray, Lord, that we would acknowledge it first and foremost to you. That we wouldn't blame others or make excuses or this is why it is. But, Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge that we have sinned against you and you alone. And we would ask that you would restore us. That you would remove that heart of stone and put a heart of flesh so that we can follow and obey you. And, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be bold enough to invite people in to our transformation. Lord, there's strugglers in this room that have gotten so good at hiding that even the people closest to them aren't aware. Lord, I pray that the loving whisper of the Holy Spirit could tell them it's time. God wants to restore. God wants to redeem. God wants to deliver. But we have to want it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would create in us a clean heart. That you would restore the joy of your salvation in us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray that you would move today. Let it start with these moments of worship and let it continue as we walk out these doors. Don't let us run away from you anymore, Jesus. Lord, we invite you in that you can restore us from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.